Hello lovelies and welcome to the Illuminaire podcast. My name is Jess, the host of the show, and I am so excited for you to join me on this adventure. On the Illuminaire podcast, we shine a light on topics that try to keep us in darkness. We discuss tough topics that most will shy away from, but we are not afraid to face our fears. We talk about everyday life and how we can nurture ourselves to grow and blossom. We talk about people's stories and how their struggles can help others. We battle the stigmas with love and sincerity and we overcome. We are a community. We are light bearers. We are a revival. The Illuminaire Podcast, living life in the light. Hello lovelies and welcome to the next episode of the Illuminaire Podcast. My name is Jess, your host, and today I'll be interviewing one of the most exquisite human beings I have ever had the pleasure of getting to know. This woman's life so far beholds many treasures and stories of wondrous places and it is an honour to have her on the show. Without further ado, would you like to introduce yourself? (laughs) Thank you for that lovely introduction. My name is Natasha Murda and it is a pleasure to be on your podcast. Natasha, can you give us a brief insight into who we will be getting to know over the next little while? Tell us who Natasha is, what's your favourite hobby, your favourite meal, favourite colour. If it was a dating website, what would your profile say? (laughs) That's a good uh, question, actually. I suppose uh, my profile would say that I'm 30. I just turned 30. I am a journalist. I work in radio and I have a dog called Randy, who is my whole world who is sitting beside you. <laughs> I love traveling, I love food, I love creative stuff like painting, drawing, writing, I love hiking, I love everything to do with the outdoors. I'd say being in the outdoors is where I'm, when I'm most happy, I think. I love my parents, I have an older brother called Patrick, I have a wonderful boyfriend called Tristan, and we live together with my dog Randy, and yeah, I'm I'm a big lover of life, I love life, uh, I love living, and I love filling my life with good things and not spending too much time trying to hit loads of, I think, goals that we're meant to or that we're taught that we have to hit, you know, career, mm-hmm. money, all that kind of stuff. I think that's something that I learned with traveling and age, that life is for living in the true sense of the word. So that's kind of the person I am. <laughs> and my favorite color would probably be orange. Orange, yes. <laughs> so Natasha, I really want to talk about you. Full disclosure for everybody who's listening, myself and Natasha are really, really close friends and I find her incredibly interesting, hence asking her on the show. And although we are close friends, I feel like there's a whole other life, if not many others, that I haven't even tipped the iceberg of getting to know about you. So can we start with your painting? How did that all start? Yeah, so my mum is an artist and she's been an artist for well my whole life she's 69 and I can't remember when she started painting but I remember she wanted to go to art school but grandpa wouldn't let her because my grandpa was really old-fashioned and you know the women were for 
cooking and being in the kitchen and the men were for going out and working and yeah she just wasn't given the opportunity to go to art school and so I think when she I think when mum and dad got married I think my dad kind of encouraged her to paint and he gave her that space so I don't know maybe 10 years ago he bought her an octagon like a little shed and it's out the side of the house and that's mum's studio and it is a beautiful chaos but it really is chaos I mean you walk in there and you come out (laughs) with paint all over you but she's very very good and I just you know I've always grown up with I mean our house is full of her paintings and our house in the west is full of her paintings she is a very colorful woman and not just because she's an artist you know she's one of those people that when she walks into the room you know she's singing or dancing or you know she's a loud colorful bright bright person and I did art in school and I did very well in it it was the only A I got thank god (laughs) crap and everything else and then it was really when Covid hit I was still living at home my mum and dad moved we have a, a cottage on the west coast of Ireland and because they were high risk because of their age and my brother's a teacher and I was going in and out of the office to limit the risk they moved out to the west and then my you know kind of about a year and a half into the pandemic then work started like depleting for me I had way more time on my hands and I really felt scared about my mental health and I was feeling down and I just didn't really know what to do you know this was the height of the pandemic when you you couldn't go outside 5k I think you know you couldn't see your friends and I remember standing outside the back of the kitchen having a cup of tea and there's this really 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 tall silver birch tree and it's my dad's favorite tree and it's my favorite tree and I remember looking up at it and it was November and all of the leaves had changed to this really bright orange and I remember thinking gosh I didn't notice they had changed you know and I just remember thinking I'm not here I'm not present and then I looked over at my mum's studio and I thought maybe I should paint Mm -hmm. and that day I went into her studio I started painting and it was the first time in weeks that I remember feeling colour coming back into my life and I felt happy again and I had felt I felt I had been feeling like I didn't know why I was so unhappy apart from the fact that the world was like crumbling around (laughs) everyone and people were dying and this virus was taking over but so the paint picking up the paintbrush and I didn't know anything about oil paint and anyone that knows anything about painting will know that oil is one of the hardest mediums you know it's not like getting white and red and mixing them together and you get a pink you know sometimes you'll mix two colors and you'll just get brown and then you'll do it again and it's brown and you'll do it again and it's brown and you're like what's wrong like there's so many things you need to know about oil painting and like there's all these other products like you know white spirit and liquid and you have to treat your brushes and if you don't clean them they're they are ruined and it's very expensive and stuff so in that way I was happy that there was this studio that was already set up all I had to do was walk in there mm-hmm. but it was really fun learning how to do it and without tooting my own horn like I really had an act for it you know mm-hmm. they were good like they weren't 
crap paintings. <laughs> and I I have Twitter and I use it for work. It's a huge platform for journalism. And one day I just I put one of the paintings up. It was like loads of different shades of blue um, merging together. It was quite large. And this woman named Jennifer Bray, she's a political correspondent for the Irish Times and has like probably 20,000 followers on Twitter. She contacted me and said she wanted to buy it. And I couldn't, I, I mean, this was me like, you know, <laughs> losing my mental health and going into my mum's art studio and fucking <laughs> a bit of paint around and now someone wanted to buy it. I thought this is crazy so I went and got it framed and she bought it for I think 450 euro which is a lot of money wow I remember saying asking mum like mum what would I charge and she was like well, I don't know how long does it take you and I was like an hour and a bottle of wine <laughs> um, but you know I dad was like you know sell it for you know a good price anyway I said 450 euro and she bought it and she loved it I drove out to Ballymun actually near DCU and never met this woman before and I gave her the painting and she was beside herself she was so happy and it made me feel so good because this was something that I started doing to make me happy and Mm -hmm. then there it was giving happiness to somebody else and then she you know I said like would you mind putting it up on your Twitter mm. and it's just been ever since then like it, it turned into like a sort of a, um, uh, like a saviour for me into like an actual additional income and like you know there's there's one hanging up in Simon Harris's house what <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that yeah his, his younger brother very very talented uh, young man Adam Harris he runs in oh god I can't remember the name of the organisation but it's for autism Okay. He contacted me and said that Simon Harris had seen my paintings up on Twitter and that he had mentioned he liked them. So his younger brother Adam and I think the sister bought one off me and it's up in Simon Harris's uh, kitchen. And I thought it was so funny because while he was the health minister, he was really good at being on social media and stuff and he did those Mm -hmm. you know like in the morning he'd be like hello everyone you know here's the agenda of the day and he was really good at doing that and I remember so often I'd see my bloody painting in the back (laughs) (laughs) and there's the health minister with like hundreds of thousands of followers and I'm like that's my bloody painting (laughs) so that's it was just it was a really beautiful door that opened for me and I still paint now that I'm working a lot more now and life is resuming it's mm-hmm. harder but you know I try to paint every week you know and it's I'm busy mm-hmm. and as you know I just finished the, the biggest one that I've ever done it was oh my god what was it it was like 40 something it was a massive painting okay mm-hmm. it was like the size <laughs> of a very large plasma huge TV. <laughs> and uh, yeah it was a, a man that had uh, bought one of my other paintings on Twitter and he contacted me around Christmas time and said that him and his wife had just built this house and they had a ginormous wall that they wanted to put a painting on and he said oh we want you to do it and he let, gave me full creative control over the whole thing and it was it was brilliant and it was something I was really proud of and he only collected it I think two weeks ago but it was huge it was huge. It was really big. Mm-hmm. I couldn't fit it into my car. <laughs> I had a small car, but still. 
So that's really, that's what the, the whole painting thing was. It completely, like, without sounding dramatic, and it's not like I was on the brink of a mental breakdown, but it did in many ways save me from mm-hmm. myself during a very hard time when a lot of other people were struggling as well. It was a hard time, and that art and the painting got me through it. Mm. Um, when you are painting, what does that feel like? So what does it actually do for you? Is it stressful? Is it... You know, does it is it calming? What yeah. does it do for Natasha? I think honestly, when I'm in there, I I'm not thinking about anything other than what what color should I make that tree, or how can I make that bark a different shade of brown, and what way should that shadow look? It's actually, I have tried to meditate, but I'm such a demented <laughs> flea, as my mother <laughs> always calls me. I'm really hyper, full of energy like don't ever give me a coffee and so I find it really hard to switch off and I've tried to meditate so many times and the minute I close my eyes I'm just like what would happen if you put a cat and a monkey in a room like my brain is just <laughs> chaos so for me it's a it's a form of meditation mm-hmm. it just I'm I'm completely there and present in that little studio when I'm painting yeah and it makes me really happy and that's good sometimes I get really frustrated when I can't make a color but then I just you know <laughs> For the most part, it's another wonderful. glass of wine, and it's fine. <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> so you said that you did art in school, and that, that was your only A. Have you ever imagined yourself as an artist, or like, is it generally something that's only happened since COVID? Like, is it a relatively new kind of aspiration? Is it even a dream, or is it just a hobby? It's definitely a new thing. It's not like I don't ever remember being like I'm going to be an artist. I think because my career since I can remember has always been journalism like I always wanted to be a journalist I always wanted to be an author like I wanted to be like JK Rowling but that's never going to happen because I don't even read I can barely spell but (laughs) because I went down the career path that I always wanted to go down I'm happy there Mm -hmm. so the art thing is fully just like it's something additional I would never do it full time because A I think it would be really stressful Mm-hmm. you know having to work hard to make money in the sense of like if you don't go in the studio and you don't paint you won't earn any money yeah but Ireland is really good in supporting artists well not supporting them but what I mean is if you're an artist and you make money through selling paintings you don't pay any tax yes so I remember like finding that out and I thought gosh that's pretty cool so I registered myself as a sole trader. Don't really know what that means. But I paid 20 euros <laughs> I can to do help it. with that. <laughs> so I had, I opened up a bank account and I was putting, you know, my painting sales in there. And it was great to actually see what it was doing for me financially. Mm-hmm. But no, I would never do it full time. Like it's, it's, it's a lovely additional thing I have in my life. And mm. I also don't want to spoil it like... You know, even when I get asked to do certain paint, like there was one woman that contacted me, her boyfriend's mother had just died of cancer and it all happened very quickly. And she said that she wanted to give her boyfriend a painting of her, the mother. Lovely. And I, th- I was really like touched by the whole idea, but I can't paint humans. <laughs> <laughs> I really can't. Like, I mean, I tried to do a face one day and it was just so upsetting. Like, poor <laughs> person. <laughs> so I said, you know, like, oh, I can't really do like a f- frontal. So can you send me a picture of the mother? 
where her face isn't in it because I don't want it. Don't offend oh. them. <laughs> so she sent me a picture of this woman walking through a field, and that was very challenging, but rewarding. But so like I can't like, and that was the closest I think I felt to like remotely being stressed. But if it was my main job, like I can imagine it taking the joy maybe out of it. I'm mm. not sure. I don't know. I yeah. think I think it's lovely the way I have it now. You know. Yeah, absolutely. So as you've said, you are a journalist by profession, and that is another creative side of you. Your writing. I would think that you, and I'm sure a lot of other people would think as well, that you're very in tune with your words and expressing yourself. You're quite articulate in expressing yourself. Talk to me about that passion. Is it a deep passion? Have you always had a passion for journalism? Is it more about going out and getting the story and reporting it? Or do you like writing as a creative outlet as well? Um, I, my dad's a journalist and he's a very good journalist. He has an amazing career and I always looked up to him when I was younger but I think I looked up to him not because he was a successful journalist but because I loved the way he was so interested in people Mm -hmm. and you know from a very young age I remember dad I mean just asking you know guests at our dinner table people that we met on holidays you know all about their life he has a he had a real interest in people mm-hmm. I mean it's such a simple idea but it actually is a really beautiful thing you know we are all so interesting and I definitely inherited that you know I think my love of journalism is my huge interest in other humans mm-hmm. like you know the humans of New York that woman that does that you know like she takes portrait photos of strangers in Central Parker and then she you know asks them one really big question like who has let you down more than anybody else in your life and you know some of the answers are like you know my mother and it's just a portrait photo and this tiny snippet into that one stranger's life and I just I, that whole like concept I find really interesting mm-hmm. so I think that and my love of storytelling made me want to go into journalism so yeah I mean I would never like if my work told me to go to the courts and write an article on the case god help me <laughs> like god help me like there's so many uh, there's so many aspects of journalism and there's so many aspects of journalism that i'd be terrible terrible at. like <laughs> like sometimes if i read an article in a paper i'm like what just happened <laughs> <laughs> so my my interest is in the storytelling the pe- the human side of journalism you know yeah like i w- work for a program called morning ireland so i work in news and current affairs mm-hmm. which is very serious Mm-hmm. sometimes I'm in the newsroom and I'm like how did I get here <laughs> honestly and you know but I would do these radio so morning Ireland is it's two hours and it's 7am till 9am and it's you know it's the top stories of the day it's serious stuff but I used to always do these radio packages that would be at the very end of the show and my editors would be like, we'll get Natasha to do something light because the whole bloody two hours is so heavy. And so they'd be mm-hmm. like, do you have any stories on dogs or dogs? <laughs> and I'd be like, Bungie's missing. No. <laughs> or something like that. So I would have an opportunity to do like, you know, four or five minute radio story on something lighter. Yeah. And I did a lot of them uh, during COVID, which I really enjoyed because I kind of, I was like, I'm just going to talk to people about what their isolation is like. Mm-hmm. 
And so that was like definitely a peak moment for me because I just got to interview a rake load of complete randomers like a butcher, hairdressers, you know, a couple in isolation and all asked them the same question you know what's it been like for you yeah and for me that is just like oh I just love I love that I love learning about other humans other people yeah that's what it is for me that's what makes me tick (laughs) and I'd say everyone's response was slightly different slightly so different in that particular package I interviewed Chloe Watkins who is on the Irish hockey um, team and they were supposed to go into the Olympics and the Olympics was cancelled or postponed so I interviewed her and she was like you know my whole life has been dedicated to hockey and here here we were going to the Olympics and then just swept gone and she was like felt lost I couldn't see my teammates we couldn't train what do I do with my time and then I spoke to a butcher and he was like we couldn't open like and we have meat that we couldn't sell our whole life is based on people walking into our shop and buying and you know what how do we and then it was really interesting because he was like and then when we could open our doors because everyone had become so aware I re- I do I think the Irish people were amazing that when things did open back up mm-hmm. they were so focused on buying local and supporting yes. local yeah. so the butcher was flat out that's brilliant and he was like it's it, we've never been so busy and he said that he was able to pay off debts and all this kind of stuff but he was like but will it last yeah and then I spoke to a couple that had been cocooning since day one they both had autoimmune diseases and if they got it you know they'd be in trouble mm-hmm. and you know Leo Leone was the, the one of 50% of the couple <laughs> and uh, you know she broke down and she said you know my husband John and I we have exercise classes every week and it's great for our head and our body and we haven't done that in 28 weeks and um, this and that and then she started you know talking about if she lost John you know and it was so emotional so you've got like you know the upside of you know the butcher and then you know you've got this couple cocooning so all asked the same question and just such different answers so that was that was really interesting so Tasha, you had mentioned to me before that you actually co-authored a book with your dad, and I think that that is so cool. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about the book and how the two of you came to the idea of writing that book? Oh God, I feel like so embarrassed when I talk about this because no, <laughs> I didn't do anything. <laughs> like that book, that book came out. Oh my God, I'm so old. It came out when I was 18. So it's over 10 years. Am I being stupid? Is it over 10 years? Yeah. Well, yeah, because yeah. you're 30. <laughs> wow. Do you want to know what I said? Lower maths. C2. C2. You're Same. an accountant. And I'm an accountant. Exactly. <laughs> um, so basically what happened was I was in fourth year in secondary school you know that year that basically everyone just farts around yeah and I remember I was sitting in the playroom in the house watching crap on tv and dad came home from work and he came in and at this point he knew that I wanted to be a writer and was very passionate and interested about that kind of stuff he came into the playroom and he said do you want to 
what did he say? He said, do you want to write a book? And I was like, yeah, dad, you know, I want to write a book. Like me thinking I was going to be the next J.K. Rowling. And he was like, no, but you want to write a book with me about the Camino? And the Camino was something that... Actually, I think... No, sorry, I lied. That happened when I was in fifth year, I think. Anyway, the Camino, for those that don't know, it's the Camino de Santiago de Compostela. And it's, it's a lot more famous now... But when it wasn't famous, we did it. <laughs> it's a pilgrimage. You made it famous. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> um, it's a pilgrimage in Spain and France. And it, like, its roots are religious, but it's now more of a spiritual thing. Basically, a massive long walk across Spain. And you stop along the way in these things called albergues and it's you know they're like hostels but it's it's not like where you know travelers are and stuff you Mm -hmm. it's people walking the camino so the first time that i ever did a section of it i was 16 and dad dad was on a motorbike trip with his friend tony and they were motorcycling through spain and dad kept seeing these people walking like not just like on a road but like through fields and stuff and he said like what's the crack with these people walking and people were like it's the Camino you start here and you end here and it's it's a pilgrimage and the end of the Camino is in Santiago to Compostela an incredible place and so basically if you can imagine the Cathedral of Santiago is the heart and there's all these different routes you know, there's the Camino Norte, there's the Camino Frances, there's the Portuguese Camino. And, you know, you can start anywhere and you just start walking towards this place. Wow. And people do it for all kinds of reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, someone that's just lost a child. Okay. I'm going to go with Camino. Someone that's, you know, just got a divorce at the age of 42. Mm-hmm gonna walk the community you, you do it when you need to think and you need to be alone and you need a break from life mm-hmm. that's my take on it anyway and so we first did it when I was 16 and we did it for 10 days and it was so exciting like doing it with my dad you know me 16 and he was whatever 50 something like it's quite unusual mm-hmm. and we just loved it we absolutely loved it and so then yeah when I finished secondary school I went interrailing with my friends as our end of school thingy. And then dad said, why don't you meet me in France and let's do the whole thing and write a book about it. So the whole thing took us 42, 42 or 46 days. I can't remember. It's a long time. Wow. Just me and my dad. And back then I didn't have an iPhone. I didn't have an iPod. I didn't have Instagram. I didn't have that stuff. Yeah. So I remember like, I didn't have like earphones or anything in like we'd walk for like eight hours a day and it was just me and my dad you know and sometimes I'd be in front of him and he'd be behind me and like sometimes I wouldn't see another human for two hours wow we started in France and we went over the French Pyrenees and then all across northern Spain through the the Mycetta for three days was it three days or two days which is the Spanish desert oh my goodness you know we like ran with the bulls in Pamplona Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like, it was just, it was the most wonderful. It was the best thing that my dad ever 
could have done for me to be honest and I talk about it in the book like it completely shaped the person that I am today without a doubt every time I talk about it I get emotional <laughs> and this ha- this is going back 10 years you know and there's a part in the book so we had we brought this tiny little notebook laptop or whatever with us so like at the end of each day so like so we'd start walking at like 6 a.m and we'd be done by like say 2 p.m and then at the end of the day dad would take the little laptop and he'd go away and he'd squirrel down his thoughts of the day and the, the book reads very nicely because like my dad is like really into history and churches and mm-hmm. like the more serious stuff and then i was like I saw flowers today. <laughs> <laughs> My I the way I write it's it's very child like childish but in a good way. So mm-hmm. you know you've got this dad and daughter duo, and so once he was finished writing, he'd then give me the notebook and he'd say, "You oh, write." Mm-hmm. So the be- the book reads like you know Peter, blah 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 blah, and then Natasha blah blah, blah you know. But I remember one day um, he would always like write before me and then I'd write and be like can you fix all of my spelling corrections or whatever and one day he said can you just read over what I wrote and he he didn't normally ask we'd been walking for like I don't know two weeks at this point and I was like you're asking me to like proofread what you've written and he just gave me the 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 laptop or whatever and he left the room and I remember um, starting to read it and it was like, you know, today Natasha and I are walking from whatever here to here and, you know, our walk was simple. Uh, it wasn't a high incline. There wasn't that much around us. Nothing significant happened, but I'm looking at my daughter walking in front of me and then I start to think. And then it just starts, dear Natasha, and he wrote me this letter. Oh. <laughs> And it's basically, it explains in the letter why he why he wanted me to walk on the Camino with him. And, you know, he's there's a beautiful part in the letter where he says, you know, I'm watching you grow up and, you know, you're surrounded by things like MTV and Uggs and Dundrum Shopping Centre. And none of that stuff has anything on this. You know, I look through these cut wheat fields and these big mountains and here you are conversing with people that you can't speak Spanish with and I'm just watching you be, you know, a young woman. And, you know, he said that I want this to teach you what's important in life. And it really did, you know, it really did. You know, there's nothing more important than than stepping away from all the crap. And that, that the Camino, just, it, it, I feel like there's almost like a, a Camino running straight through me, you know, mm. and it, it, it's, I would say to anyone, at least once in your life, you have to walk the Camino because it, it will change your life. Yeah. Natasha, listening to that story was absolutely beautiful and hearing that connection that you have with your dad is so beautiful and really inspiring. Would you write with your dad again? Gosh, I've never actually thought about what were you going to say? Is it more like a once-off type thing? Like, was it... I haven't actually ever thought about that. Well, if we did, it would be so different this time. Yeah. You know, I'm so much older, he's so much older. I don't know what we possibly would write on together. Mm -hmm. I feel like that book was... 
sorry so yeah when you asked me like how did that come about so mm-hmm. and I said I literally did nothing my dad did all the you know he's written loads of books before okay. and he's got a his publisher is Gillan Macmillan and I think they said to him the year that we were doing the, the big Camino they said you know what book are, are you going to write this year something like that and he said I can't this year because I'm taking two and a half three months off to do this pilgrimage with my daughter mm-hmm. and the the publishing company turned around and was like what <laughs> that sounds incredible Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And so they said, why don't you write a book about it? And I think dad said, why don't I write a book about it with her? And they loved the idea. So wow. he literally came home to me and was like, do you want to write a book? And I said, yes. And he got the laptop. We walked. And all I did was write down, you know, my little innocent thoughts at the end of the walk. And next thing I know you know we had a few meetings about the cover and this and that I don't remember saying diddly squat I remember (laughs) saying don't like this photo it was the cover it It was the cover (laughs) it was the bloody cover (laughs) like but I love like looking back on the book because like I'm so young in it Mm. you know and it's really nice to see that you know so many women more well I shouldn't say women all people I think there's so much pressure on young people these days mm-hmm. and I think our generation well you're younger than me whatever yeah but, not by much <laughs> not by much people <laughs> but I feel like our generation just got out on time you know we didn't mm-hmm. have social media and all that crap and we were like I remember playing outside and mum being like dinner's ready literally that kind yeah. of stuff and so in that book, you can really see, like, I'm a kid, but I'm still 18. Like, the 18-year-old nice. girls you see these days, they're giving us a good run for our money. Ruined. They're Absolutely ruined. ruined. <laughs> but, so, I think maybe, yeah, the book was maybe a one-off, you know. I don't okay. think anything could compare to it, you know. Yeah. yeah. It was just such, it just, it worked so well. It did really well. People loved it. You know, we had people writing letters to us. Wow. Yeah, it was really... Fan mail. <laughs> like, it was so, so nice. That's lovely. Yeah, so I think maybe just because the bar was set so high. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine what the hell me and Dad would write about together now, unless we did another great adventure. Yeah. But so, no. So, no. To cool. answer your question with a huge, long answer, no. <laughs> So what about you then? Would you write something on your own? Yeah, so uh, I, I've i had this like quiet little dream sort of for many, many years and I'm kind of only maybe putting it into effect now. I really, really, really want to write a children's book. Mm-hmm. I think I have quite like a, um, you know, childlike mind in the sense that you know, I'm an animated person. I I love kids, but I love like ch- childlike stories and tales and stuff. Yeah. I did classical studies in secondary school, which is quite an unusual one. I think it's like something that like only a few schools do, but it's a study of Greek mythology. I was just gonna say, is that what it's about? Yeah, and it's based like the whole. The whole thing is 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 just like story after story, like you know Oedipus Rex, Pr- Prometheus Bound, you know, um, 
Prometheus was. He betrayed someone and so he was chained to a rock and every day for the rest of his life an eagle would come and peck out his liver and the next oh my and the next day he would the same thing would happen and that was his that was it was an eternity of torture no yeah and you know there's all these stories about like the river sticks which runs through the underground and all these wild stories mm-hmm. and they were just i mean i loved that class Mm-hmm. It was so, so good. And I remember I babysat with the same family for like six years and I used to read my classical myth, perhaps not the one about the liver being pecked out to children, <laughs> one of the nicer ones, to the kids. And they loved it. And so, yeah, I, I want to write a children's book and I want to do the illustrations myself. But I've started it, but Jesus, it's harder than it sounds. <laughs> like, I thought choosing a children's book would be easier because... Well, it's shorter and more simple and stuff, but it's actually hard because you have to, you have to think like, will a child understand that sentence? Yeah. Yeah. Will that sentence and this sentence and that sentence, one after the other, make a child's mind think? Yeah. You know, so that's a new project I've set myself, and I'm moving at a snail's pace, but that's okay. I think everything that's worthwhile happens slowly. Yeah, I think so too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I won't ask you what it's about because it's a surprise for everybody who's listening and there's going to be a massive book launch. <laughs> and you'll all be invited. <laughs> all the little luminaires. <laughs> so, unfortunately, Tash, there's absolutely no way I could possibly fit everything into this episode that I would love to talk to you about. But because you are my best friend, it just means that you can come back again. So, (laughs) episode two, Tash Pending. (laughs) That being said, I would absolutely love it if you could touch on your travels. So, as a young woman, you decided, right, packing my bags, that's it, I'm off to travel the world. Tell me how you got to that decision. And also walk me through your experience of getting to Guatemala, where you spent most of your time. I always had a travel bug, probably from my dad. He's so adventurous. He'd been nipping all around the world. And mum would be too, but, you know, more so dad, I think. And so I was really determined when I was younger. Wish I had that now, but (laughs) I just knew I wanted to get through secondary school. I wanted to go straight into university, get my degree. I knew I wanted to do English get that done and then go okay and I always 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 knew I was going to do it on my own and I think that was because I wanted to do it my way I didn't want distractions or this or that and originally I was going to go to Australia okay and through a series of events that aren't interesting or whatever that I had a flight I had my one-way ticket to Australia booked I had my visa I had jobs set up there and I didn't get on the plane and I delayed my trip by I think eight months and as those eight months went on and I'm really glad I didn't get on the plane to Australia because through those eight months I just was like "Mm, Australia no I want to go somewhere more meaningful I want to do something less comfort you know like Australia is a bit like Ireland in the sun yeah and that's been confirmed since I've gone there you know great country and everything loads of have you been to Australia yeah yeah for my friend's wedding yes of course great country and loads of opportunity and like if I was 21 
I'd definitely go there and make a load of money and come back kind of thing. But so I just I booked a, a one way ticket to Africa to Nairobi in Kenya. Which what made you think of Nairobi? Because my mum's one of her best friends, Barbara, her daughter, Alex, who I went to primary school with, my mum must have been having a coffee with her friend and said like, oh yeah, Tash isn't going to Australia anymore. I think she's thinking of something like bigger, more meaningful. I think I had New Zealand in my head or something like that. And I think Barbara said, oh, Alex uh, just came back from Kenya or something. Or anyway, mum told me and I just, I just couldn't get Kenya out of my head. Okay. And I wanted to go and do something good. You know, yeah. like work with an organization or do something charitable. And Wayne actually went to Haiti. Oh wow! Yeah, it's something that I would have loved to do, and I always regret not going and doing it. Yeah. Sorry to go on. No, it was it, it's a, it's such a good thing to do mm. while you're still young, but also an adult. Like you know, I'm glad I didn't yeah. do it when I was eighteen, because I just would have been like. Oh, I'm saving the children. <laughs> so what age were you when you went then? 20... I think I was 23. Okay. Um. So yeah, one-way ticket to Nairobi. Uh, I was in Kenya for three months. Lived with this woman called Naomi. It was just her and I in this apartment with her house helper floor. Living in a slum village called Gong. Like, no concrete paths, muddy road. I mean, like, real heart of like a slum yeah. town you know not another white person within wow yeah 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 like it was real I was in Africa I remember the, like the first second and probably the third day I just remember being like shit like <laughs> what the hell was I thinking like this mm. is so crazy like and it just broke me down broke me down and just built I mean I left that country with such a full heart like I was Aww. working with this orphanage called well it was in a place called Mbobo and it had 58 kids and it was run by a pastor Jane and she had no intentions of starting an orphanage but because she was the pastor of a local church literally one day a baby was left her door and then another baby and then another baby and then this and this and this and she used the money from the church to buy a tiny tiny plot of land that was in a valley and completely waterlogged put up this iron construction and it was like a barn with mattresses on the floor and these 50 something kids lived there some were as young as well there were babies there when I was there and the eldest was 17 and the toilet there's two toilets hole in the ground two holes in the ground and I spent three months just learning about that situation and it was just like the it was the best thing to do at the beginning of my travel so I was gone for nearly four years Mm -hmm. and having that at the beginning was just so I mean it just put talk about making being like feeling small you know didn't want to leave but I had my visa was coming up and I had so all I booked was that one way ticket to Nairobi and then for some stupid idea I thought oh from Kenya I'll go to Costa Rica so far away I mean I should have explored that other side (laughs) of the world but I was just like oh I love nature I'll go to Costa Rica (laughs) so far away like oh but anyway went to Costa Rica and that was the only thing that I had planned I had saved six and a half thousand euro 
And I, mum and dad were like, how long do you reckon you'll be gone? And I was like, probably six months, you know, a thousand euro for each month. And just shy of four years until I came home. Went to Costa Rica. And yeah, I just, I literally planned nothing. Like, didn't speak Spanish. I had one backpack and went from Costa Rica to Panama. Um, went to these islands, Bocas del Toro. Then I went into Colombia and then I was running out of money. And so I went back up to Panama, lived on this island for seven months and worked as a chef. Wasn't a chef, worked as a chef. <laughs> Saved up about $2,000 in cash strapped the cash all around my body and started making my way up to Mexico to get a flight back to Ireland because I'd been gone for nearly two years and on my way up I got to this country called Guatemala and I never got on that plane back to Ireland I just fell in love with the place it's this colonial town I, I didn't even know I don't think I even knew Guatemala was country until I I mean no let's be honest I didn't. I'm safe. very bad at geography anyway, it, but no. <laughs> Guatemala who? <laughs> anyway, it's a country in Central America and it is just, it's incredible. It has jungle, it has sea, it has this, it has, anyway, this town called Antigua, colonial town, used to be the capital of the country, but they moved the capital to Guatemala City because these volcanoes kept erupting and the buildings kept crumbling and the government couldn't keep paying to redo the buildings so they just moved the capital to Guatemala City and so you've got this colonial town with loads of ruins all throughout this town it's just still there and it's cobblestones and all the buildings are pink blue green yellow I mean it's stunning and it's surrounded by volcanoes wow and one of them is Fuego and at one point it was the second most active volcano in the whole world I mean it shoots lava all day and you were there for two years like it was I mean it's like something out of a children's book (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I stayed there for two years and my brother came and lived with me for 10 months we went traveling all around Mexico northern Guatemala Belize and then yeah I came home when I was 25 and was extremely lost (laughs) momentarily but yeah, the, the, that, those those three and a half, four years were just fantastic. And my God, when COVID hit, did I appreciate them more than ever. Mm-hmm. Like, just having that in the bank. Yeah. So good. Absolutely. But sure, didn't I come home and like all my friends were like lawyers and barristers and solicitors. <laughs> and I was like, right, so I'm broke and have an English degree. <laughs> but you have life experience. Yeah. And it's, it, it's, it's, com- it, it tops everything it does yeah absolutely does yeah what was it about Guatemala that made you stay there Mm. the job that I got so yeah I think it was I was there it was day three or something and I was sitting in a bar and got talking to this guy called Victor from who was from Alabama horrible guy but anyway (laughs) didn't know that then and he was he was real loud and boisterous and he always called me Tosh and I was like my name it's not Tosh (laughs) anyway he was like for some reason we got into like hiking or something and I was like yeah I love hiking you know whatever Mm -hmm. he owned this adventure company called Ox and they led 
like guided tours of volcanoes. Okay. And one of the like number one things, well, it's actually, I think it's the number one thing to do in the whole of Guatemala is the overnight hiking trip up Actenango, which is a massive volcano. And I'd seen it like in my guidebooks and stuff, even before I got to Guatemala, and I was like, oh, I'd love to do that. But it was something like $100, which back, like when you're traveling for as long as I was, $100, like absolutely no way. It's a lot of money. So your man, Victor, was like, we're looking for a female guide. You know, you like hiking, you know, why don't you come up on one of our tours of Bacatanango and see how you like it? Mm-hmm. I didn't tell him that I was making my way up to Mexico to catch a flight home to Ireland. I was just thinking, excellent. I'll <laughs> go on this great trip that yeah. I'm too scabby to shell out for with with him thinking, oh, I'm thinking, will I join the team? And then I'll just be like, yeah, this <laughs> isn't for me. <laughs> And I went up, so I had to be in this place for like 5am. And the volcano is 4,276 metres above sea level. Like it's not any, like it... Wow. Yeah, like it's it's a serious hike. So yeah. we got to the, I got to Ox, whatever, for 5am. And we started hiking at, I think, 7. And we got to like base camp at like 2.33 p.m. So that's how long you're hiking for. I mean, you're going really high up in, you know, it's not a long distance, so to speak, but like it's so steep. And so we set up camp uh, like, uh, I think it's like 200 meters below the crater. So that volcano was now dormant. So I should have explained that. There was three volcanoes, Fuego, Akatanango and Yapucapa. And they all shared one magma chamber and then the plates moved and that magma chamber is now only under fuego so the other two are dormant and then you've got this one fuego but they're literally one beside the other so you go up Akitanango which is the higher one so when you're camping you're looking at fuego which from the campsite to the crater of fuego it's something like a kilometre wow and you're looking at lava shooting a couple of kilometers into the air and crashing down onto the cone of the volcano can you imagine the rumbling the noise that like you, you you can't sleep like i'll never forget the first trip wow and so i came down <laughs> and signed that contract yeah <laughs> like i just i i i it was just i've like have you ever seen lava in your life before no never and it's not something you'd ever think about. No. Like my mum and dad visited me in Antigua mm-hmm. um, at Christmas time because they hadn't seen me in over two years. Yeah. And I took dad up. Um, wow. And so at the time he would have been 60, uh, whatever, three. Mm-hmm. And dad's been everywhere, you know. He's been a reporter and this and that and blah, 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 blah. And he came up. It was actually really cool. I was like, wor- I was working. Like he was one of my clients so to speak so you know we we got to the camp and I you know set up the tents and you know was getting the fire ready or whatever and my dad became very quiet all of a sudden and he sort of you know wandered off at one point and I went over and I was like you know is everything okay and he was so emotional because he was like I've never seen lava before in my life and I just thought who has seen lava shooting up into the sky like this like I can't put into words how 
insane it was, you know, like it's like, like it's like just exploding, exploding, exploding. Like, and when, when it's nighttime, it's complete darkness and this illuminous red fountain of lava. I mean, it was just most incredible job I've ever had in my life. There's nothing I can do unless I become like the host of BBC or something like that. I'll (laughs) never have a job as incredible as that. So that's why I stayed for two years. Would you go back to do that job? <laughs> no, because it was so hard. Okay, yeah. Fair. It was so hard. Five o'clock in the morning is hard. <laughs> yeah, and camping up there. And then at, you know, the 3am waking up people in their tents and taking them up to the, the last 200 metres to watch the sunrise. Okay. And then going back down to the camp, taking all the gear going all the way back down and of course like you know the clients are going to be like thanks so much like goodbye I had to clean all the gear hose everything down I mean it was like a one person each trip was a one man show yeah one woman show sorry it was just so much work you know mm-hmm. and it was hilarious the, the clients paid the company what was it 96 dollars per trip and no matter how many people were on the trip I got oh $65. What? Yeah. So, you know, it's Guatemala, like. But, the, but if one person is paying 96 In high season, I had 18 people on one of my trips. So that's thousands that the company's taking in. And you only got 65 $65. But I made so much money in tips. Because they were Fair. all American and Canadians, you know. Okay. And they I was. Tip. Yeah. Yeah. Like they would often leave me a hundred dollars. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Scoot that yeah. Away. So that's yeah. It was great. That, like I, I, it, it, it supported me. You know, I lived in a lovely place. Never had to like worry about money in that respect. It was a great job. I mean, there were so many issues, but like just brilliant. Like, and how cool! Mm-hmm. And what a great job! Like, it's fantastic life experience, and this is why I said Natasha is so interesting. <laughs> You have really good stories. You should definitely write a book about that. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> or at least paint Antigua. Yeah, and that's something I've never thought about. It's a lovely, lovely place. Very special in my heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, March is your birthday month. And thankfully, today is still March. It's the 31st of March. And we need to disclose this because everybody who listens should celebrate Natasha because she's an amazing woman and you said at the beginning of the podcast that you've turned 30 what has that been like how was the lead up to 30 how has it been since you've turned 30 I think like most of us growing up maybe more so women you think oh my god 30 like I'll be married Mm -hmm. with kids 30 yeah and in the run up to 30 (laughs) I was just like, married with kids at 30, you must be joking. Um, I I haven't actually felt that much pressure. Like, I'm very happy in my life. I'm in a wonderful relationship. Mm -hmm. I love my job. I love my family. I feel very lucky. 30 is just, you know, 30. Yeah. You know, I've got a few more wrinkles, but like, it's 30. It's... She's zero wrinkles. (laughs) Actually, that... that, (laughs) 
that's one thing I will say. Everyone's getting Botox and I don't have it. <gasps> no. I'll never get it because I'm terrified of needles. But yeah. uh, 30's been great. Um, I remember. I can't remember who said this. To, oh, it was this girl, Kira that I know. She <laughs> said, uh, 30 is great because when you turn 30, you no longer care what other people think. I stopped caring about what other people think ages ago. <laughs> so it's just 30 for me. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. I think I need to get to that level. <laughs> So Tasha, how would you say that you've grown then as a woman in recent years? Me and you have had plenty of conversations about being a woman and how tough it can be, particularly in moments where things are coming up in the news and can be quite tiresome. So how would you say that you've grown as a woman through these things happening? But also what life experiences have really kind of moulded you into the woman that you are today? I think being a woman is very very tough mm-hmm. and it's I don't know what's happened but like in the last it feels like five six seven years maybe I'm being ignorant but it to me it feels like in the last five years it's really been like it's blown up like you know femicide is a serious problem like I had a conversation with somebody a couple of weekends ago she said yeah but like homicide is big like you know men are killing men you know like more men are being murdered still and I was like sure but the thing about femicide is it's 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 a crime against women you know yeah men are inherently more violent you know that's just the truth Mm -hmm. women are being murdered by men it's not women murdering women it is a crime against women. women And that was something that I really noticed when I was traveling. Like, we are, God, we're like, we're everything, you know, we're wonderful, we're terrible, we're sex symbols, we're this, we're that. It just seems that a woman gets the short straw with everything in life. When we walk into a room, our dress is too long or it's too short. And if something Mm -hmm. bad happens and it's too short, then it's our fault. I could talk about this forever, but I think a real sort of moment for me was, I think it was two years ago, a woman named Sarah Everard was murdered in London. She was walking home from a friend's house and she did all the things that we're all told to do, Mm -hmm. you know, walk in lit areas, you know, text your friend, you know, all these safety measures that as a woman, we just have to do. Yeah. And still, she got murdered and raped by a policeman. Yeah. Like, it it was a story that really, 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 like, sent shockwaves through the UK, Ireland, and probably Europe. Like, it was a really, really big one just because... I think it was so big because she literally did everything. everything. Yeah. And the main thing that I kept seeing was why didn't she get a taxi oh like it was she it was um it was a short walk that she was doing I think it was 20 minutes it was during the summer why would she like why can't it was like it it was like 8 p.m at night Mm. all these details came out and yet still the narrative was why didn't she get a taxi and I that just 
tipped me over the edge. But can I just say, getting a taxi can be even more detrimental depending on who your taxi man is. Sure, the man that killed her was a policeman. Yeah. Like, there, there is no right choice for us as women. It seems like there's just danger everywhere for mm-hmm. us as women. The workplace, the yeah. home, public transport, the soup, you know, whatever. It's everywhere. So when Sarah Everett died, shortly after that, it was International Women's Day. And I remember tweeting I wrote an article when when I was living in Panama Mm -hmm. so I lived there for seven months and I was working in a a resort as a chef and it was in this place called Bocas del Toro which is an archipelago so it's like a cluster of islands on the Caribbean paradise Mm -hmm. but the you know the the way of getting around was water taxis and I'd been there for seven months and it was like my last night out or something and I got in a water taxi to go home and it was just me and this taxi man in the boat and it's like you know an, your normal standard boat with an engine on the back and basically once we got into dark water you know in between the islands he just cut the engine off and he tried to assault me and mm-hmm. thankfully I got out okay but only by the saving grace of mentioning a very respected figure in the community. You know, life on the Caribbean is very much about respect and who you know and this and that. You know, I was just like a white tourist woman, zero value to this man. But as soon as I said, you know, I am friends, his name was Rasta Miguel, you know, the whole situation changed Mm -hmm. and I got out okay. And I remember writing an article for the Irish Times about this, which was published on International Women's Day back in 2018 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And the comments underneath my article were shocking. Like, here I was, a 23 or 4-year-old woman, sharing this really terrifying I mean I'm I'm downplaying it but it was terrifying like the situation I ended up like jumping into the water he pulled me back into the boat by my hair like it was traumatic Mm -hmm. and there I was writing this article and it was published and there was a really lovely photo of me to accompany the article and I'm sitting on a step I think my dog Randy is in the picture and Mm -hmm. I'm I'm wearing a black t-shirt and a pair of American apparel orange shorts and Doc Martens and I'm sitting on the step of a church in Antigua and the comments underneath that article were she's asking for it why would you wear those shorts in a country that doesn't allow women to expose themselves that's not true no it's not (laughs) that is not true there were comments like god there was one that really got to me it was like I wouldn't let my daughter out in Ireland wearing those shorts. But then again, my daughter isn't an exhibitionist. It was like the, the it was it was crazy. And were these from women or were they from men? Mostly women. It was so weird. And so anyway, that that was years and years and years ago. So I think Sarah Everard was murdered two years ago. It was during the pandemic, so I think it was two 
forgive me if I'm wrong, but when she died, it was an International Women's Day, like very shortly after. And usually I'd post something, you know, with like, you know, a best friend or my mom saying, you know, these are the wonderful women around me, blah, blah, blah. And I just got reminded about that article and that combined with Sarah Everard dying. Mm -hmm. I just remember posting a load of screenshots of those horrible comments and saying, you know, I wish I could say happy International Women's Day. But to be honest, after hearing about Sarah Everard, it just highlights how crap and unsafe and scary it is to be a woman in this world. Like, it's scary. It's so scary to think could be raped at any Any point. You know? Any point. And so I just felt really fed up. But I will say that something good has come from this I feel like women are we're a lot better at articulating our like fed upness and exhaustion over this yeah and now the narrative is I'm tired of saying don't rape me it's your responsibility as men the good men to now stand up for us and I think a lot of a lot of men have said it's our, it's, it's, it's our turn yeah and I think we need to educate young boys and that's it because I don't know how else we can do it like it sounds awful but I literally think we need to educate young boys hey don't rape women yeah like and and like you know young boys they're they exposed to, to so much though with yeah. the internet and being able porn. to get access to porn you know like I think young boys need to understand what it is to give consent yeah you know because you have uh, this situation where young girls feel pressure and young boys feel pressure and you know they're saying oh come on come on come on and the girl's saying oh and then you know they might lose their virginity and she goes home feeling crap and then the the line is blurred because you know like this young boy was just you know, edging her on and she was saying, oh no, and she eventually did. And it, it needs to be made more clear. Sex is a really big deal when you're young. Yeah. And you need to make sure that both parties want it. And it's done like that. Like, I don't really sound like an old lady, but like... Well, because otherwise it's just going to... The young boys are going to grow up to think that that's okay. Or like hearing their dad's brothers whoever cousins uncles catcalling and thinking that that's okay yeah they just grow up to copy off that behavior so you're absolutely right it should be taught in schools and starting from young boys upwards yeah absolutely so those have helped you to grow into the woman that you are today sorry yeah so i think just a tough skin yeah yeah i think um being like angry and like sick of it and stuff Mm -hmm. it's just but also before any of like my awareness of how hard it is to be a woman in the world happened before that I think my upbringing was really good yeah you know I have wonderful parents and I remember being encouraged to play sports and you know I played football I played hockey I played tennis I played this I played that I didn't start wearing makeup until I was way later. Mm-hmm. I was brought up to be, you know, uh, a little like a little human, you know. Yeah. And 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 you know to be not tough, but 
I don't know. I think maybe I just the life skills that I got from an early age combined with the four years of travel, I think, and the Camino. The Camino, yeah. It has shaped me into the woman I am today. And just, I think, constantly being told, you, like, you can do it and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I don't know. A lot of encouragement. A lot of yeah. encouragement. Really, really good parents. And, you know, I think I was called, you know, irresponsible and a risk taker and all this crap when I was traveling on my own as a woman. And, like, to that, I just say, like... <laughs> You're just jealous. Piss off, like... <laughs> just because I'm a woman, I can't... Like, if I was a boy and went traveling on my own four oh, years, everyone praised. would be, like, oh, unreal. Like, yeah. where'd you go? And because it was me, everyone was like, Jesus, we're not scared of you, not this. Sure, I was scared at moments, but, like... Oh, that's one thing I will say. Yes, there is negativity in the world, and yes, it's hard to be a woman, and yes, we need to work on this and that and that. But I still believe that there are more good people in the world than bad. Yeah. And the world is a really lovely place. And mm-hmm. it was the best education that I ever got. And what I would say to any woman is that don't let anything scare you from going out and doing something on your own. You can do it. Just be smart. Have your wits about you. But don't let this culture stop you from exploring like mm-hmm. the world is a wonderful place and there's so much to to be seen and to to learn from and it's the best education that you can ever give yourself or your daughter or your sister or your best friend yeah and i've learned so much from you already <laughs> <laughs> from getting to know you over this last year and i'm sad that it's only a year but it feels like it's been forever it's been so overwhelmingly incredible to find someone who I can genuinely call a friend and I can pick up the phone and I know you're going to be there and I'm closing my eyes because I'm not going to cry (laughs) but the best part of getting to know you over this last year has been watching you shine in all of the wonderful ways that you do it's been so beautiful to see you be creative to be see you be supportive to see you be in love and what my next question is around is that you seem to have found so much happiness in your life and we've talked so much about your life how have you gotten to that place of happiness uh, that's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> you just said so many nice things yeah, that's why i closed my eyes <laughs> um i think um i am happy I am happy at the moment. You're happy inside. Yeah. And outside. Like, it's not just it. Like, obviously, yes, we all have our crap days. We all feel like crap from time to time about jobs, about work, about life, relationships. But from my experience of getting to know you, you've genuinely found a positiveness in feeling happy. And not toxic positiveness, but a place where you can say, yes, I am happy in my life. And I'm confident in the woman that I am today. I think, well, I know, it came from really liking myself and knowing who I am, knowing what what my flaws are, what my good points are, but just feeling like, no, I'm a good person and I should be 
happy with myself you know I think it's a really hard thing to say I love myself or I like myself yeah absolutely and you know I there was one amazing conversation that I had with a name or oh, with a woman called oh, I can't remember but it was at this Bhakti yoga retreat in the Mexican desert and I absolutely was completely out of my comfort zone and was like what the fuck am I doing here <laughs> <laughs> no internet no alcohol no cigarettes no meat no bloody nothing and I was like this is terrible <laughs> like day eight I was like get me out of here and I spoke to this woman it's something lovely like Dolores or something and she was this British woman and she looked like a mouse and she was 60 something and I was doing the yoga side of the retreat and she was doing the the life coaching side of the retreat and so the life coaches would ask the yogis hey can I practice you know on you kind of thing and so I was like yeah go on like I'll have a chat with you. I sat down with her and she, I thought it would be like a therapy session or something, but life coaching okay. is different. It, it was like I was supposed to lead the conversation or something. And so I was sitting there being like, so do you want to ask me something? <laughs> she was like, what's wrong? Like, what's wrong? And I was like, nothing's wrong with me. Like, I mean, I'd love some meat and a glass of wine, but like, other than that, yeah, I'm getting through the retreat. She was like, no, like what? Anyway, just sort of broke down and was like, I don't, really no you've just made me cry like what and she basically said I'm 67 and I lost my husband eight years ago and we were together for 20 something years and only after he died did I realize how important it was to love yourself oh my god she said it's a really long journey but you'll never be okay in life in anything until you like who you are and she said this happened like four or five six years ago she said it's going to take a number of years but start your journey now on learning to like who you are and love yourself and by the time you're 30 your life will be so much better and when I turned 30 Mm -hmm. on the 5th of March of this month I thought of what she said wow and I thought Okay, I might not love myself, but I definitely like myself. And maybe I have love for me in there, you know? And it just, like, I think when you feel like you can stand over the person you are, everything else falls into place. (laughs) My heart is breaking because it's such a, it's a very difficult thing. And you know a lot about me that some of the listeners will not know, but... It's really hard to get to that, to that place of even liking yourself. Very um, hard. So I commend you for that. And I'm excited to turn 30 because of you. <laughs> <laughs> so is there anything else that you'd like to say or any shout outs or anything like that that you'd like to give? The only shout out I give is to you. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I, I've... I, as we both said at the beginning of this like we were both nervous which is ridiculous because we talk every day (laughs) um but it was so nice to talk to you like that um it was very different so very different so different (laughs) um and you know i feel like a lot of smoke has been blown up my (laughs) arse. you've changed my life you make me feel so good you make me feel happy uh, I feel so close to you and you know I really look up to you in so many ways and everything that I was talking about like trying to like yourself and love yourself I mean like how are you not in love with yourself <laughs> you do so much for so many people and this podcast is 
Brilliant. And I'm so happy that you asked me to be on it. It's been a real pleasure. It's been amazing. I skipped one question. It's the last thing I'm going to ask you. If you were to give one piece of advice to people who are listening, what would you say? Mm. One piece of advice. People who are listening. <laughs> oh, if you're not happy in your job mm-hmm. or what you're doing, stop doing it and just do something that makes you happy. Yeah. Drop out of the course, quit your job. The most important thing in the whole world is happiness. And it's really hard to find sometimes. And being a part of the rat race or having that mentality of, oh, it's just another three years until I am this or until I can. It's not worth it. Yeah. Chase happiness. Chase happiness. Chase happiness. Okay. Okay. so Natasha thank you so much for coming on the show it has been so wonderful and so emotional in so many ways but so powerful and I really feel like this is going to speak to a lot of people so I really appreciate your time thank you so much thank you for having me on your wonderful podcast and lovely listeners thank you guys once again for tuning into the Illuminar podcast as always it's been a pleasure to bring you good vibes you can follow Natasha on Instagram at the nosy fox or through her paintings page which is at Tash paintings or if you're a tweeter you'll catch her chirps at Natasha Marta Make sure to keep an eye out for her because I know she's absolutely going to do great things, even more so than what you've heard in this episode. So keep an eye out, watch this space, big things are coming. And of course, you can follow me at IlluminaireXO. Keep shining bright, lovelies, and we will catch you in the next episode.